Amen. I'm going to ask you if you have a copy of God's Word tonight to take it out. Turn to the book of John. The book of John. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Um, let, let, let me say this um, to you. We, we've talked about over the last couple of days, we've talked about uh, really the concept of God's love for us and, and the concept of who God is. Um, and this is kind of a shortened shortened revival session. Typically they're a few more days long. And of course I would be here tomorrow, but I went and pastored a church, so now i got to go back on Sunday. But um, this particular message tonight is one of those messages where, okay, now that we've gotten all this other stuff, what are we going to do with that? And so that this message tonight is a what are you going to do with it whenever you take it uh, and, and hear it, and now you've got to go apply it, okay? So just keep that in mind as we kind of study the Scripture tonight. John chapter 8, verse number 1. I'll ask you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word if you're physically able. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> now early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came to Him. And He sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear and so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went, one by, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman... Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then Jesus spake to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship you tonight. And Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you have given us through your Spirit that we might be able to use them to worship and glorify and magnify the name of Jesus. And so God, tonight we pray that you would receive praise, that you would receive honor for all that we do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I've entitled this particular message, um, Rules of Engagement. Rules of Engagement. And the reason why I entitled it that is because what we're going to walk through is we're going to walk through some fundamental things that you and I need to know if we're going to engage a culture that is lost and dying. Now listen, as much as I love to come inside God's house and to worship with God's people, as much as I love to do that, that's not the end. That's not where it's supposed to stop. So many Christians come into God's house, they worship on Sundays with other believers, and yet when they walk outside the doors of the church, uh, they, go, they go home, they go to work, but in the meantime, while they're doing that, they're not sharing the gospel of Jesus with anyone. That's not what God has called us to do. He's called us 
to come in this place that we might be equipped for the work of the ministry. Now we come to worship Him. We come to learn more about Him. We come to see Him for who He is. But we also come that we might understand our gifts, understand what God has blessed us with, that we might walk out the doors of the church and use them for the glory of Almighty God. And so if we're going to do that, we need to know the rules of engagement as we engage a lost and dying world. So let me just give you a definition of what it means to engage. Now pay attention to this. It means to participate in. Alright? So we are going to engage the culture. Alright? But here's how we're going to do it. We're going to engage the culture by the Word of God. Alright? By the Word of God. Engage means to participate in. Now what that does not mean is for you to go out into the midst of the world and act like the world. That's not what it's talking about. But what it simply means is, is that you, listen, unless some sort of UFO comes and calls you up or something, I don't know, you're going to have to stay here. Amen? And so then that means you're going to have to engage this culture and be a part of it and participate in it. And so as we participate in the culture, we've got to do it by the Word of God. Listen, as Christians, we don't build compounds. Amen? We don't go Waco, Texas on people. Something that y'all young people are like, uh, what is that? That's a town in Texas somewhere. What's that got to do with anything? We don't go David Koresh on people. You still going, I don't know what that means. We don't build compounds. That's what I'm trying to say. Alright? Surely you know what a compound is. We don't build this little... We don't build our own little towns and we just stay in our towns as Christians and we say, all of you non-Christians, you can't come in our town and you can't come by Rice Krispie Treats from our little store and all this. This is our spot. This is our space. We don't do that kind of stuff, right? The Bible doesn't teach that that's what we're supposed to do. No matter how bad the culture gets, you and I are still commanded to go into the culture by the Word of God and reach the culture. Listen to this statement. To unengage the culture is to engage in sin. Now, let me tell you what that means. Some of y'all are sinning. Because it's not just to go out in the culture, but it's to engage the culture by the Word of God. That's what we are commanded to do. And that goes right along with the Great Commission. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20? Jesus said to go into all the world, go into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, and all that other good stuff He said for us to do. That gives us the picture that we are to participate in this culture. But if we're going to participate in the culture, we have to do it once again by the word of God. So we have to measure every bit of our activities by the word of God. We have to check every bit of our motives by the word of God and see what the word of God says we're supposed to do in a certain situation. Everybody picking up what I'm putting down so far? Alright, let me just give you some casual examples. So have your Bible ready. I'm going to get you to turn to a couple of places. Some casual examples. I'm going to give you two cultural issues that we're dealing with with today that we could go back to the Word of God. And this is just an example. There are so many, but I just want to give you a couple of the common ones. Number one is sex before marriage. 
That's an issue in the culture that we live in. That is a huge issue in the culture that we live in. So as Christians, as believers, what are we to do? When the world says, ah, nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that. If, if you're happy, just go right ahead. Nothing wrong with that. What are Christians supposed to do? We're supposed to go back to the Word of God and see what Jesus says about that. See what His Word says about that. So what does His Word say about that? Well, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to show you a couple of things that the Bible says about sex before marriage. Alright? Everybody with me so far? Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19. says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Now he throws two types of sexual immorality in that particular passage of Scripture. One of them is adultery. Alright, now I think we're all, at least most of us in here are grown enough to understand what that means. Okay? So he throws that in there and then he says not only that, fornication, which would be sexual immorality of any kind. Alright, so the Bible clearly says, because in this passage of Scripture what we are looking at, we're looking at a contrast between the works of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And so he says the works of the Spirit are all of these things, man. Uh, this, this whole love, joy, all this stuff. But the works of the flesh, they're evident. You can see them. And then he names them. And he says it's this lewdness, it's this adultery, it's this fornication. And so the Bible clearly teaches us from that passage of Scripture that you and I as believers are not supposed to participate in that kind of activity. Alright? Everybody with me? Now take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I just want to give you a couple now so that we can see what I'm talking about. Okay? Hebrews 13, verse number 4. The Bible says this, Marriage is honorable among all. Alright? Now we live in a culture where marriage is being shamed. Alright? And so the Bible says this, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. In other words, here's what that clearly is trying to teach us. Listen, if you're going to listen, you, if you're going to be married, here's what you need to make sure you do. Make sure you save yourself for marriage. That's what the Bible teaches. Now I realize that many of us at this particular time in our life, we can look back on our lives and say, I failed miserably at that. At that. Well, that's where we have to depend upon the grace of God and praise God for His forgiveness for all that stuff that we've done in the past. And maybe you're doing that right now. But you've got to draw a line and say, I'm a Christian. This is what the Bible says. And so I've got to obey what the Bible says. And so I've got to stop right now. And start living like Christ says for me to live. So that's just one example. And then you've got this whole concept of drunkenness. Drunkenness is another issue that we deal with in this culture that we're living in. Because there are so many people that think there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, drunkenness and so on and so forth. Well, what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says in Romans chapter 13 verse 13, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. Alright? Revelry is this. It's a, a, a festivities with large amounts of alcohol. I had to look that up because I was like, revelry, I see that in there, but what is that? I don't know what that is. So I looked it up. And it's festivities that have large amounts of alcohol at them. Now that could be a local high school party. That could be your favorite bar hopping spot. 
You say, oh, wait a second. Whoa! The Bible says, let us walk properly as in the day and not in revelry, not in all of the festivities with large amounts of alcohol at them. Ha ha ha! So you thought you were okay with that. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. And it says, don't participate in drunkenness, not in lewdness and strife and in envy. But then it goes on to say, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Here's what I, here's what I know to be true. We can argue this all day long. I, I don't really care. We can argue it all day long, but listen to me. I'm convinced there's not a man in this culture anywhere that can handle alcohol. You say, oh no, preacher, I, I think I can handle it. I think I can handle it. Well, you just wait and see. There's going to come a day whenever you're going to drink too much and you're going to be drunk. And the Bible says you're in sin. That's what the Bible says. So I, you're, you, can't, you can't handle it. I can't handle it. You can't handle it. So the best thing to do is completely and totally avoid it. Certainly since it is a divisive, divisive issue. Why would a believer want to be divisive? A believer should want to abstain from any appearance of evil so that nobody will have anything bad to bring against us. Right? And so we gotta, we got to measure our activities according to the parameters of Scripture. Now I know somebody right now is saying, well, you know, I mean the Bible just said drunk. It didn't say drinking wine. It just said drunk and you know, well, they had wine in the Bible and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. I understand that. But look at me. We don't live in Jesus' day. We live today where alcohol is being abused on every corner. It's best to stay away from it. You got good water to drink. They didn't. Right? So I mean, I'm just saying. I don't even mean to get off on all of that, but doggone it. Let's act like we're... Listen, let's live our lives above board, man, to where people can look at us and say, I can't even find a hint of evil in them. Now, I know we're probably going to fail at that misery, but bless God, we ought to at least try. Right? So, anyway, God bless you, whoever that's for. I don't know. I don't even know where that come from, Brother George. You know how sometimes you're preaching and the Spirit of God won't leave you alone? You know what I mean? So, I say this, and you're like, I don't even remember my notes, Lord. Here's what I'm saying. We've got to measure every activity by the, by the plumb line of Scripture to see if we should participate in it or not. So we have to, as we engage the culture, we have to engage it by the parameters of the Word of God. We cannot engage it by the parameters of the culture. Because the culture, is, it's always been sinful. It will always be sinful. The world is sinful and it will always be sinful. And we have to remember that. that. That system that is against God is prevalent out there. And we have to understand we can't go, we can't play by the same ground rules as we did whenever we were lost. Right? So we have to go back to Scripture and see what it says. Here's what you should make sure you always mark this down. Write it on your refrigerator. Alright? This statement right here. Never trust your feelings or your heart because they'll fail you often. Often. Oh, I feel so good about it. Yeah, but what does God say about it? Because you'll lie to you. You know why? Because you're in love with you. 
You ever convinced yourself something was good for you to do and you did it and then after you were as guilty as the day is long but you know that you convinced yourself that it was alright and then after the fact you're like, that's not right, that's not right. But in the moment you fit, you had butterflies inside. And then after it was over with, you know, that's why I'm not going with the whole goosebump things. You know, I felt the Spirit because I had goosebumps. I, you know, hey, you may get goosebumps if you feel the Spirit, but feeling the Spirit of God shouldn't be uh, determined by whether you got goosebumps or not. Amen? Because they can, they can play a, a sad secular commercial on TV and I might get goosebumps. That don't mean that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to me. Right? So you can't trust your heart and trust your feelings because the Bible says this about the heart. It's desperately wicked. Who in the world can know it? So here's what we have to do. We have to go back to the Word of God and we have to say, okay, what is God's truth? What does His Word say? As I'm going out into a culture that's hostile to me and to Christianity, I've got to get in the Word of God and see what it says I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to act. So listen to this statement. You can choose to define the culture or you can let the culture define you. It's up to you. You can let it determine how you're going to live your life or you can go back to the Word of God and you can make a difference in the culture that's around you. But all of that has to be guided by the Word of God. Alright? So that's the number one rule of engagement. We have to engage the culture by the Word of God. The second rule of engagement is simply this. We engage the culture by the Word of God, but through the love of Christ. Through the love of Christ. Listen to me. We're not Bible thumpers. We're life givers. Right? We're truth givers. We don't go around smacking folks in the head with the Bible. I mean, the first thing we do when we walk up to people, we don't go and say, I tell you right now, you're going to hell, son. That's what's wrong with you. We d- That's probably not the best way to do it. You know, because we're not Bible thumpers. We're truth givers. People generally know that they have sin in their life. They need to know the answer to that sin problem they have. And His name is Jesus. But in order for us to do that, we have to display the love of Jesus through our lives to those people. So, there's nobody better to look at to give us an example of how to do that than who? Jesus Himself. And so in this passage that I just read to you, we see where Jesus gives us a clear picture of how to handle people in the culture. Here's what you do have to remember. People are not projects. They're people. Right? You don't, you don't turn somebody into a project. I had a friend of mine one time. He, um, he had this neighbor right down the road. And this neighbor was really lost. And uh, he wanted to try to win this guy to Jesus. And so he made it his business to go over there on multiple occasions for the specific purpose of just sharing the gospel with him and convincing him that he was lost and he needed to get saved. Alright? Now I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But I'm saying that was his mission, okay? Well, he'd go over there multiple times, multiple times, and that's all he wanted to talk about. And the guy wouldn't trust in Jesus, so he'd be like, all right, I'm gone, all right, I'll tell you. And then generally as Christians, what we do is come back to our other Christian friends who are saved and badmouth the guy who wouldn't accept. Isn't that right? See, y'all say, oh. Did that last week. So one day my buddy, he's a farmer, he was out grading his ditches. The guy that's been telling this guy he's lost and he's be saved. He's grading his ditches out by his house. And he sees this guy drive up. And he's in a hurry. And he's like, oh man, I don't have time for this. I'm trying to get this done. And so the guy stops him anyway. He gets off his tractor and he's being real short with the guy. 
because he's wanting to get back to work. You know, he's got important things to do. And now the guy who's lost and needed Jesus wants to come talk to him and he don't have time for it. Because he's grading his ditches. He's grading his ditches. He's plowing up dirt. He was so concerned about the man's soul, but when the man came to him, he was plowing dirt. So the guy notices that he's a little bit short with him. And so the guy finally picks up on that and he says, Hey, look, he said, man, I'm going to let you go. I know you're busy and everything. He said, I know the only time you want to talk to me is when you want to come down there and try to lead me to Jesus, so I'll leave you alone. And he turns around and walks off. He gets in his car and he drives away. And my buddy told me, he said, about five minutes after he left, I realized what I had done. And he said, I felt so ashamed of myself because I had treated that man like a project instead of an actual person that needed Christ. See, we've got to remember they're not projects. They're people that Christ wants to save. And the best way to reach those people that Christ wants to save is treat them like they're a human being, not some sort of project. Right? So Jesus did that in this passage of Scripture. So let's just kind of walk through this passage. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Okay, all right, good. Uh, let's start in verse number 1, and we'll just kind of walk through it. As we go, we'll point out some things, all right? It says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, all right? Now right above that, verse 53 of chapter 7, it says, And everybody went to his own house. Everybody goes home, but then Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, which he did quite often. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. So he came to the church house, and the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now that's every preacher's dream, that if they just come to the church, that people just go flock into church and hear them teach. But that's what happened to Jesus, right? So he goes in there, people start flocking around him. And then the Bible says this in verse number 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now let me point out a couple of things. Now this is just my own personal opinion. But I believe they was a little sarcastic when they called him teacher. I believe they were like, oh yeah, he's, he's Mr. Man around here now. Everybody's flocking to him. So, hey, we've got this lady who's called an adultery teacher. What do you say we ought to do to this lady? So they bring him up. They drag this lady up. And they said, they said, she was caught in adultery. And then they said this, in the very act. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like they drug her out the bed. Now, what else does it mean? What else to end the very act? What else do you call that? Now, I'm just, maybe I'm dumb. Maybe I'm from Crowville, Louisiana, and I don't know anything. But that's what it sounds like to me. So maybe she just had like a sheet over her as they were dragging her out the bed. She grabbed the sheet off of the bed and just covered herself. And they take her and throw her down in front of Jesus. And they say, hey, Jesus, what do you say that we do to this lady right here? Because Moses, here's what he said in the law. Moses said that this lady should be stoned to death. So now, now here's what they did. They brought up a valid point because they brought up some truth. They said, she's been called an adultery, which she had. Alright? And then they said, Moses says... That we should stone somebody like this, which that was their practice. So pay attention, pay attention. She deserved what they said should be done to her according to the law. Okay, everybody got that? Because I don't want you to think, oh, that poor lady. No, 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 she sinned. 
She sinned. See, Jesus never dismissed her sin. That's what the culture tells you to believe. Well, just dismiss it and don't even worry about it. And tell her that God is a God of love and so He doesn't care. That's not what Jesus did. They brought Him. They said, hey, what Moses says, we are to stone this lady. What do you say? And then it says this in verse number 6. They said this, testing Him, that they might have something to accuse Him. So listen to me now. The only reason they were doing this whole thing was so that they could try to trap Jesus. Guess what that means? They treated this woman like a project. They just used her to try to trap Jesus. See, here's what religion will do. Religion is quick to bring accusation. That's what religion will do. Look at me. Everybody look at me real good. Never let religion creep in your church. Never let it creep in your church. Because religion will be quick to bring an accusation against all of you. Now, no, let me, I'm going to stop right here. Let me just, we love each other, right? If you have people in your church that are always wanting to bring accusation against somebody, whether it's the preacher, whether it's the music guy, whether it's a teacher, or whether it's somebody that they always want to bring accusation. Let me tell you something, they fall and pray to the God of religion. Look, look, look at me. You better be leery of those people. You better be leery of those people. Do you hear me? You better be leery of those people. But at the same time, you're commanded to pray for those people. That God will set them free. So these religious people come. That's extra too, whoever that was for. And, and so these people come. They drag this lady there. And they say, what do you say that we ought to do? They're trying to accuse Jesus. But here's what Jesus does. Now they bring this lady. Now I'm just assuming she was caught in the act. So I'm just thinking she's got a sheet around or something. That's just the way I picture it in my mind. I don't know if that's the way it was. But that's just the way I'm picturing it. Alright, so they, nonetheless, they're abusing this lady by dragging her out here. Throwing her down in front of everybody. Alright? But nonetheless, it was the law. And so they drag her down there. They say, what do you say that we ought to do, Jesus? And Jesus goes... <laughs> he just starts like... Nobody's even there. He's just, he just bows down. I mean, just barely starts drawing in the sand. And the Bible says it like, like, they didn't, like he didn't even hear what they said. He just, Now some people speculate what Jesus was drawing. Some people say, well, what he was doing was he was pointing out their sin. Now we don't have anywhere in Scripture that it proves that. It could have been what he was doing. I don't know. Some people say he was drawing the fish symbol. I'm, the, I'm a Christian. <laughs> That would be awesome for Jesus to be drawing, huh? Hey, hey! Christian. <laughs> I don't know that that's what Jesus is drawing. I think that came along a little later. But, but hey, I don't know. We don't know what He was drawing. We do know this. We do know this. That He bent down and acted like He didn't hear what they were saying. And so, being religious people like they are, they have to make sure they have an accusation against somebody and they need to get Jesus caught in a trap so they just keep trying. They keep trying. They made a bunch of phone calls to gather up people for a vote. Hey, look, I know, brother, you ain't been here in 25 years, but you're still on the roll and we need to get this preacher out of here. Can you come to the church? Please! I'll pay you ten bucks. That's what religion does. So y'all, a lot of y'all laughing. Some of y'all going, oh, I've been there. So, y'all get me all sidetracked. So, 
They continued asking Him. Alright? So they just kept on. That's what religion does. And so Jesus finally raised Himself up. And He said, He who was without sin among you, let Him throw, throw a stone at her first. So here's what Jesus just did. Knock yourself out. If I don't have the right to throw a stone at you, then go ahead, you throw one at her. That's what He said. So He gave them permission. He did. He gave them permission. He said, hey, whichever one of y'all don't have any sin in your life, go ahead. Hit her right in the head. Just smack her. One good one. Right in the head. Because, I mean, obviously you're worthy to be able to do it because you don't have any sin in your life. And so check this out. I love this part right here. This is so awesome to me. It says this. He says, hey, go ahead. Take a shot. And again, he stoops down. He starts writing stuff on the ground. And then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience... See, what he did, here's what he did. He got them to stop long enough to think about themselves instead of her sin. He got them to stop long enough that they could think about their sin instead of his sin. You know what we need to do sometimes in our churches? You need to stop praying for everybody else to get saved and ask God to show you the nastiness that's within you. See, it's easy to come down to the altars and weep and cry about everybody else's sin. But whenever you start coming down to the altars and say, God, show me how wretched I am. Show me, show me how I am. God did that for me by... I didn't even ask Him to do it here a while back. And He done it. I preached a revival at this church and it was, man, it was fantastic. We had a bunch of people saved. Well, two weeks later, I was going to be at another church two miles down the road. And I said, well, praise God. We just had a revival down here at this church. We're two miles down the road. These people know I'm going to be there. They're going to come down there to that revival. And we're going to have a sure enough good revival in this church down here. Because this one really needs it. Alright? So I preached for four nights. I think I saw two people from that other church. I was driving home in my RV after the Wednesday night service. And I was being religious. And I said, yeah. They want Jesus all right. Now I'm thinking this to myself. Yeah, they want Jesus, all right. They two miles down the road just had a great revival in that church, and they can't even come down here and fellowship with their brothers and have revival down here. I see how they are. Yeah, I'm just driving. All of a sudden, while I'm minding my business, being religious, the Lord speaks to me. Boom! I mean, one of them. It was like it wasn't even a dagger, Tim. It was a sword as long as me to you. Went right down in the middle of my heart. You know what God said to me? I didn't hear this in an audible voice, but it may as well be in. Here's what God said to me. He said, you know what your problem is? He said, you're just mad because they're not in love with you. Now listen to me. Look at me now. I wasn't even thinking that. I wasn't. I was just mad at them because they didn't come. But here's what God did. The Bible says that he can get down to the, to the joints and the marrow and the middle. And here's what he did. He went right down to the center of my heart. And here's what he said. It's too much you in this. You just want people to love you instead of me. And I can't have that. And I'm telling you, I had me one of them repentant moments driving down the road in that RV. Because that's what God will do to you, right? So that God speaks, Christ speaks to them right here. And all of a sudden it says they were convicted in their conscience. Now listen to this, I love this part. And then it says they went out one by one. They say, oh, mm, I know what I did 30 minutes ago and that wasn't good. So I think I'm going to pass on this one in case they want to throw a rock at me in a little bit. And, and listen to this, listen to this, I love it. It was the old people that did it first. 
wisdom. Amen? That gray hair and that wisdom. You know what they said? I could just picture this in my mind, Brother George. Them older folks said, Oh, I've been alive a long time, boy. I've committed a lot of sin. You know, I think I'm going to let you young bucks have it on this one, man. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to just, I'm going to check on out. And so they just kind of checked on out. And they left them young, young bucks there to handle it, boy. And them young bucks say, you know, I think I'm going with them. I th- I'm going to ease off with them. And so they just take off. they like, all right, I'm gone. And so they, everybody. And so the Bible says this. They all leave one by one from the oldest to the last. Okay? And so, let me just point this out. I don't know if this is contextual or what, but I just want to bring it up. Sometimes it's good to pay attention to the example that those older ones had left before us in many ways. You know, they kind of they know a little something sometimes. You know what I mean? Okay, I didn't get any amens on that. So apparently y'all don't know anything. That would be the younger crowd. I think you know, my old people don't know anything. I'm 16. I know everything. Yeah. So they started walking off one by one because they were convicted. And listen to this. The Bible says in the last part of verse number 9. And Jesus was left alone and the woman was standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Now, now let me show you something. Look at me now. Here's what Jesus said. You have my permission to stone her to death. As long as you don't have any sin in your life, go ahead and cast the first stone. He laid down that ultimatum and they slowly but surely walked away. Now look at me now. The only people that were left was the sinful woman who had been caught in adultery who deserved to be stoned and the one person who could rightfully stone her. Jesus. Because... He said, he was without sin, cast the first stone. What is Jesus? He is the one without sin. And so Jesus could have very well, look at me now, Jesus could have very well picked up a rock and busted her right in the side of her head and been legal according to law. Do you get that? You don't miss that part. Because the only people who are left were the one who could have done it, and yet the one who could have done it and should have done it, didn't do it. See, you should have died and went to hell. And the one who should have put you there, didn't put you there, but offered salvation so that you could have everlasting life. You see, that's how Jesus rolls. That's what He does. And so Jesus says to them, she says, No one, Lord, no one's here, no one's here to condemn me. And so Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. But listen, here, look at me now. He said, I'm not condemning you either. But then he looked at this sinner and he said, now go quit what you're doing. Go stop it. He didn't say, I'm not going to condemn you. Just keep doing what you're doing. He said, I'm not going to condemn you, but go and stop doing what you're doing. Right? See, the culture says, go and keep doing it because Jesus is a Jesus of love. And all of this, and he really didn't speak against all of this stuff in the Bible, but that's not true. Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm telling you to go and sin no more. So in other words, here's what Jesus gave her. He gave her an opportunity to follow after him. And and, and I just believe that because of the next passage of Scripture. He turns around and he speaks to them, it says. 
He speaks to them. So I'm believing He's turned to the, everybody that's gathered around to watch this thing. And even those who walked off one by one. He turns around to them and He says this to them. He says, I am the light of the world. Alright? I am the light of the world. And then He says this, He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now I'm just convinced in my heart of hearts, I'm just, I'm just believing it from a contextual standpoint. I believe that what Jesus is trying to do here is point out that this lady has chosen to stop her sin because Jesus has had such mercy and grace upon her life. And now He's maybe armed her up and He's pointing to all these people and He says, I am the light of the world. And those who follow Me, they don't walk in darkness anymore. See, I believe she repented of her sin and chose to follow Christ. And he's trying to point it out to everybody else. He's saying, Though, listen, I'm the light of the world. I shine the light on darkness, but I'm not condemning. I'm inviting them to follow after me and stop their sin. And I want you to know that this lady has chosen not to walk in darkness anymore. Amen. Now look at me. Here, here's what's so crazy about this. Or here's what's so glorious about this. Some of you people in this place, you're this woman. You're this woman. It may not be adultery. It might be adultery. But you're this woman. Maybe it's something else. And there are so many people that would love to pick up rocks and cast those rocks at you tonight. And you probably even deserve those rocks to be cast at you tonight. Because you have done what they are accusing you of done. And yet at the same time, you show up in this place and you may deserve all of this stuff. You don't need somebody to condemn you. You need somebody to love you. You need somebody to show you what love is really like. Can I tell you something tonight? Jesus wants to love you. You say, even though He knows what I'm doing, yes, Jesus wants to love you. But He wants to love you right out of your sin. He wants to show you how much mercy and grace He will extend to your life. If you'll just follow His light and turn from the darkness, you can have everlasting life. Now I know some of you are probably sitting here thinking, well, I, you know, I'm just thinking about this and I don't understand how God can love somebody like me. I, how do I know that God can love somebody like me? Well, listen to me. Let me illustrate it by this. I have one of my good friends, and through our ministry, we like to do little simple things for people to show the love of Jesus. And one of the things that we've done on multiple occasions is we've gone to Monroe, Louisiana, to the homeless shelters, and we've had church and fed the homeless people. Alright? Well, my buddy, Bronson, he had a birthday. And he told his wife, he said, the only thing I want for my birthday, he said, I want to make some cakes, and I want to give a birthday cake to the homeless people on my birthday. And I was like, that is so awesome. That is so awesome. And so we began to talk about it and he, he began to decide what he wanted to put on there. And here's the passage of Scripture he came up with. Proverbs sixteen nineteen, which says, Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. And he put that on the cake and he brought it and he said, Casey, if you don't mind, when it's time for us to eat the cake, I want you to explain the whole scenario to him. So I said, okay, great. So here's what I said to the homeless people. I said, I want you to know that it's Bronson's birthday. And I said, I want you to know, Bronson wants you to know how much he loves you and cares for you and wants to share Jesus with you. And so what Bronson did for his birthday, he bought you a birthday cake. And I said, now I want you to look at me now. I said, you don't deserve this birthday cake. It's not your birthday. This is, should be his cake. But he chose to give you this cake. He chose to give you a gift to show you how much he loves you. See, oftentimes when we want to express our love toward people, what do we do? We give them gifts. Don't we? 
We give them gifts. We buy them a ring. We buy them a necklace. We buy them a watch. We buy them some jewelry. We buy some makeup. We buy some hunting stuff. We just we buy. We give gifts because we want them to know we love them. Right? On Mother's Day, we're going to give our, 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 our loved one, our, our wife and our mother, we're going to give them gifts because we want them to know. On Father's Day, they're going to give us gifts. And we're going, to, we're going to know that they love us by those gifts. That's why we give those things. Well, listen, Jesus is the same way. Now, He didn't give us a birthday cake, but He gave us a cross. That was His gift to us. That we might know and understand that Jesus loves us with all of His heart, all of His soul, everything that He is. He loves us and He wants to have a relationship with us. The Bible says this in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners. See, while she was still a sinner, Christ offers His love to her. Alright? And while we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. And so as we engage the culture, we have to do it by the parameters of the Word of God, but we have to do it through the love of Jesus Christ. See, and I'm convinced that there are those of you that are in this place tonight, you're hurt, you're broke, you've got sin in your life, you may be so messed up it's not even funny, and people would stand in line to chuck rocks at you. But what you need to do is come to grips to this. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are a sinner. And you probably deserve every rock that they could chunk at you. Because we all do. Yet at the same time, God would say in the middle of all of that, I love you. I love you. I don't want to condemn you. I want to love you so that you'll repent of your sin. See, it's the goodness of God that brings man to repentance. Is what the Bible says in Romans 2. It's the goodness of man that br- uh, the goodness of God that brings man to repentance. And so He says, I love you. So here's the big question for us. Would you accept His love tonight? Would you accept His gift to you tonight? His expression of love, the cross of Calvary, His death, His burial, His resurrection. Would you accept that gift of love from Jesus tonight? Listen, here's the way I like to frame it. It's, well, speaking of how much God loves us, it's His Son for our sin. That's that's what it is. That's how we can just really capture the love of God in one sentence. His Son for our sin. So the question is tonight, will you choose to accept the gift that God has given you? And that is salvation. That is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's eternal life through the blood of Christ. And the second appeal that I have for you is simply this. For those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, would you display His love tonight? By making a commitment to go out and engage this culture by the Word of God through the love of Jesus? See, because the truth be known, many of you come in here and you're fired up as fired up can be when you're in here, but you're not engaging the culture out there. And that's where, that's where it's going to happen. See, that's the battlefield out there. You've got to engage the culture through the love of Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know where you are on your journey. I really don't. I know where I'm at on my journey and I know that God's, God's called me to a new season. God's called me out of evangel- full-time evangelism into pastoring a church again. And so I'm at a new season in my life. But let me tell you what God reminded me of through this whole transition. God reminded me what a season is. A season are moments in our life where God reminds us that He has us in the palm of His hand. See, maybe you're going through a difficult season right now. 
And God wants you to know that that season should remind you that God still has you in the palm of His hand. See, tonight my prayer for you is this, that you just trust in Christ. That you'd receive His gift of salvation. And for those of you, as Tim sang a little bit earlier, let the worshipers arise. Those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, arise and go engage the culture that you may win some to Christ. See, that's, what, that's where the rubber meets the road. The big question is, are you going to do that tonight? Okay? Let's pray tonight. Father, thank You so much for Your love, Your mercy and grace. Lord, we know that nothing can happen in this place tonight except it happened by the drawing of the Spirit of the living God. And so, Father, I pray that You would do what I cannot do, what Brother George cannot do, what Tim cannot do. I pray that You would have Your Spirit draw men to salvation tonight and draw believers into a greater intimacy with You tonight. Lord, let the worshipers arise. Let them engage the culture by the Word of God and through the love of Jesus. So, Father, we pray tonight that You would help us to be obedient to You. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to listen to me. If you're in this place tonight, and you say, Brother Casey, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I need Jesus to save me tonight. And Brother Casey, I'm willing to trust in Jesus Christ to be my Lord, my Savior, and my Master. And so tonight, I just want to simply ask Christ to save me. Well, listen to me. If that's your heart's cry tonight, to ask Jesus to save you, then here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to slip up out of your seat. I want you to come to Brother George right now and say, Brother George, I want to give my life to Jesus. So if you need to do that and accept the gift that God has given you, I want you to come, okay? You come to Brother George. But the rest of you, if you are a believer and you have been convicted about needing to engage this culture, then what I'm going to ask you to do is make your way to this altar tonight and make a fresh commitment to engage the culture by the Word of God and through the love of Jesus Christ. Maybe God will put somebody on your heart that, you've been, that you maybe need to witness to and tonight you'd say, God, help me go and engage that person by the Word of God through the love of Jesus Christ that I might win them to you. So tonight I want to ask you to stand to your feet. Your heads bowed, eyes closed. The altars are open. If you need to be saved, come on. Brother George is here. Let's not play games at the foot of the cross. Let's engage the culture and let's do it now. So come. You come and pray. Get on your face before God and make a commitment. To he became sin. Oh, no, no sin. That we might become His righteousness. He humbled Himself.